that was kind of cool the other day. I saw uh, out in our ash tree, we saw, I saw this hornet just kind of circling up the trunk looking for these little suckers. And I thought, oh, well, God provides and for all of his creatures. Um, but uh, anyway, if you're here this morning at Chillicothe Bible Church, our purpose as a church is to be a loving community, first of all, but then also a loving community who does some things together to help one another grow in our individual walk with Christ so that uh, we worship together and we uh, learn how to walk faithfully before Christ day by day together, that we learn how to serve uh, God and one another with the spiritual gifts that God has given to us, and that we learn also to reach out into our community with the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ came to the earth to save sinners, of whom you and I are one, and people in our community are also uh, in that category, and we need to reach them with the gospel. And we, we're gathered to do that uh, and to learn how to do that together. And Sunday morning is a big part of what we do to encourage one another in that direction. Um, and so whether you're here this morning, and this, is, uh, and this is the, you know, this is the umpteenth time you've been here because you've been here since before I was a glimmer in my father's eye, or if you have been here, uh, this is your first time. We're glad that you're here because we are here to worship God and to see him at work in our lives and to experience his power and to uh, find the joy of our salvation each day. And so I'm glad you're here. Uh, and today is an exciting day because today we're going to start a new sermon series through the book of Philippians. And Philippians is a, is a fun book. It's essentially written as a thank you note to the church in, in Philippi for their efforts and their partnership with the Apostle Paul and his ministry. Uh, Philippi is a city that is located in what we now call the Balkan Peninsula. You know, if you remember the early 90s, there was all that fighting over there um, with uh, Yugoslavia and um, uh, Bosnia and Montenegro and these little places. These are different other little places on that same little strip of ground uh, off the southern uh, part of Europe. And Philippi is in what was, um, when Paul was writing, it was the Roman province of Macedonia. And it's named for uh, Philip II of Macedon, who was Alexander the Great's father. Uh, so it's a city with a proud history. It's the city, by the way, where, if you remember the book of Acts, uh, Paul has a vision of a man of Macedonia who says, come over and help us. Uh, Philippi is the city where Paul went in answer to that prayer. Uh, it's the city where Paul and Silas were imprisoned. You remember? They got beaten up, flogged, thrown in the stocks in prison, and at night there was a heavenly jailbreak, and all the doors flew open, and the stocks fell off, and everybody's free, but everybody stays. And the jailer's ready to kill himself, and they say, don't harm yourself, we're all still here. And the jailer comes in, and he says, what must I do to be saved? And they say, one of the best verses you can know in your Bible, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Right? Acts 16.31, everybody should know that one, right? Great verse of Scripture. What is the gospel? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Okay? Um, Philippi is also the place where Lydia the seller of purple cloth, where she uh, came to meet Jesus through Paul's ministry. 
And then Paul had to leave the city, of course. And this letter is written about 10 years later. After Paul has made, uh, he's made three missionary journeys on the, uh, right after the last one, he got himself arrested in, in uh, Jerusalem. And he's now in Rome in prison, and he's writing them this letter because uh, as part of that third missionary journey, he had been taking up a collection for the churches in Jerusalem who were impoverished. And all these Gentile churches were helping out these Jewish believers back in Jerusalem. And in fact, uh, Philippi is the city that Paul's referring to, or the people Paul's referring to. When he writes in 2 Corinthians, you remember, he says, out of their poverty, they gave a gift, and you guys are a rich church, and you've been stingy. Uh, that's chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians. He says, the Macedonians, out of their poverty, came a wealth of liberality in their giving, and you should imitate them. This is who he's talking about. This is probably Paul's favorite church. He has the least corrective to say to them of any letter that he writes. Uh, and in fact, I think we'll see some features of the warmth of their relationship. If you, if you study along with me, you'll see um, that these are, these are people that are friends of Paul. So let's, if you have your Bible, uh, turn to Philippians chapter 1, verses, we're going to look at verses 1 to 11 together, okay? So hear the word of the Lord. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ Jesus, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we have sung of your glory. We have given of our resources, of what you have given us. We have prayed and sought your face. And Father, here now we sit under your word, and we pray that by your Holy Spirit that you would speak to us, and that we would be quick to obey what you show us by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, if you look at the first two verses there of kind of the greeting section of this, of this letter, uh, one of the great things about ancient letters is that they always tell you who it's from up front, which is kind of cool if you get a letter from somebody that you didn't particularly care for you could just throw that out because you know who it's from um <laughs> but i don't want to read that uh but paul identifies himself and timothy and he says this he says servants of christ jesus now that's a that's a pretty normal way of paul referring to himself but one of the things i want you to notice here in this greeting is something that's not normal something that he leaves out 
Normally, when Paul addresses a group of people in one of his letters, especially one where he's going to offer a lot of correction, he always makes sure to identify himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. He doesn't do that here. And I think the reason why is that he is writing to people he considers to be his friends. You know, when I, when I sign letters from the church, you know, we put them on church stationery, and we have that letterhead, and we have the, the pre-printed envelopes and everything, say Chillicothe Bible Church, and give the address and all that. And when I sign one of those, I always put Pastor Joseph Horn, or Pastor Joe Horn, or something like that. I include the title in there because that makes it official, right? Um, now I've gotten a letter from the pastor, right? Well, if I'm writing to a friend, I just sign it at the bottom, Joe, Okay? Or if I'm texting Karen, I just put the first initial, J. You know, she knows who that is, right? Um, It's a more familiar way of addressing yourself to them. And Paul does that here because these are his friends. He He doesn't beat his chest about what his title is because he doesn't need to. These are his friends. He says, a servant of Christ Jesus. And that's a big part of Paul's self-identity, but his apostleship he leaves out. He doesn't need to mention it. These are Paul's friends. And then he says, to all the saints who are at Philippi. And that's significant for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, I don't know what your church background is, but sometimes we, we have kind of a, a division or categories between ordinary believers and saints, you know, The saints are the people who are really obedient and really holy, and then there's the rest of us, right? Notice here how Paul addresses the ordinary people in the congregation. How do we know these are the ordinary people? Because he mentions the leaders separately. He mentions the overseers, that is the elders, and the deacons separate from the ordinary people. But the ordinary people he calls saints. The word literally means the holy ones. To all the holy ones all the ordinary folk, and also the overseers and the deacons. And that's significant because I think sometimes we, get, we, get our, our, we sell ourselves a little short in that we see ourselves as just, well, I'm just an ordinary Christian. Well, in a certain sense that's true, but in a certain sense that's higher, you're a saint of Christ Jesus. You're someone that God is making holy. And we need to see ourselves that way because I think it will affect how we live. But beyond that, he also says to the ones who were at Philippi. And I love how Paul always addresses these letters when he says at, so, at such and such a place. and Because he's, he's not just identifying with that preposition. Uh, this is your hometown. This is the place where you're living. He is reminding them that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that the place that you are is just where you happen to be at at the moment. That, in other words, this is not home. No matter where you grew up, you know, I did not grow up in Chillicothe. I'm not a native Chillicothean. I'm not even, an, I'm not a, even a native of the state of Illinois, okay? Which helps because I don't have to claim all the corruption in the governors. Um <laughs> You know, I can say, look, I didn't vote for the guy. I wasn't even there. <laughs> okay. Um, it is interesting that we now live in a state where being the governor is now probable cause. But <laughs> um, anyway, 
Uh, I'm from Indiana, okay? But you know what? Illinois is where I am at. And even if you were born here, Illinois is where you are at. It isn't home. It isn't home. Home is someplace much better. Home is the place where Jesus dwells in the heavenlies and where we will dwell with him. And so it's to all the saints who are at Philippi. This is just temporary. I'm just passing through here. I'm on my way to someplace else. This is a hotel on the journey that I'm, where I'm staying. My eternal home is somewhere else. Okay? Uh, and then a, one other thing I want you to notice, and then we're going to move on. Seriously, we're not going to spend that much time on this introduction. Um, but I want you to notice what Paul says in verse 2. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not just a Pauline way of saying hi. Uh, a lot of times we just kind of breeze by that language. But Paul is actually offering kind of a benediction or a prayer for them. And he's asking that God's grace would rest upon them in their life. And one of the things that's interesting about Paul is that he says, God's grace and peace be to you. And then if you look at the end of the book, he'll always close it like this. He'll say, flip all the way to the last, last uh, page of Philippians there in your Bible, over a couple pages. Chapter 4, verse 23, the, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. In other words, God's grace to you and let it remain with you. That, that Paul is saying here, look, that the grace of God that he has prayed to come to them, he wants to stay with them. Because it's by the grace of God that we live our lives. It's by the grace of God that we experience a relationship with him. It's by the grace of God that we are changed. And so Paul prays, may the grace of God be with you. Even as he's prayed at the beginning here, may it come to you. Okay? And we're going to move on. Uh, Paul deeply loves this congregation, and he says so in verse 3. He says, I thank God every time I remember you. Now, that's a deep level of affection. Um, how many of you, don't raise your hand, okay? But how many of you have a friend that every time you think of them, you thank God for them? Probably depends on the day, right? Um, there are days that you have a, a rough spot in your relationship, even with a friend or even with your spouse. And so you're not exactly thanking God for them at that moment, right? But Paul says, every time I think of you, I thank God. And he goes on and he says, and I always pray with joy. And it's because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. In other words, from the very moment that I led you all to Christ, you were looking for how you could support me in spreading the gospel. And the word partnership there is, I don't... I don't like to get into a lot of detail about the underlying Greek text for our translation, but the word partnership there is the word koinonia. And that's a word that we, even non-Greek uh, readers, would understand, right? Koinonia is the word for fellowship, right? And the word fellowship kind of gets abused a little bit in the church sometimes. And we, we think of it like this. 
Um, well, if we have a service and we get together and we sing and we pray and we worship God and we listen to a sermon and we um, sing some more and then we pray and we go forth from here, well, we've been to a service. But if we, there's a potluck afterwards, then we have had fellowship, <laughs> right? Um, or if Joe and Jim get together and they're non-Christians and they uh, eat chips and drink Coke and watch football uh, and burp and scratch together, then if they're non-Christians, that's a friendship, right? Uh, but if they're Christians and they get together and they uh, eat chips and drink Coke and watch football and burp and scratch together, then they're having fellowship, right? Okay? The New Testament word for fellowship means more than, it's more than just kind of a Christian holy word for being friends with someone who is a believer, and what it has to do with is making a sacrifice toward a common cause. Making a sacrifice toward a common cause. And to use my two characters again, Joe and Jim, if Joe and Jim put their life savings together and buy a fishing boat, and they say, hey, we're going to sacrifice, we're going to uh, catch carp out of the Illinois River and sell them to Perina for dog food, um, and we're going to put our life savings to get together and do this together. We're making a sacrifice toward a common cause. And, and the Greek word for that is to be in fellowship together. And Paul says that their fellowship is not merely financial, although it has a financial aspect to it. But it's, it's a sacrifice that they have made with him for the advance of the gospel. And it's a very high level of fellowship that they have. And it's their common commitment to the gospel that they're willing to make sacrifices for that gives Paul such great joy every time he prays for them and thinks about them. And because of that, I want to say this, that the gospel should be at the center of all of our relationships. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are a diverse group. I mean, look around. Most of us, I, th I think we're all of the same race that are here. We're all of the same nationality. We're all Americans. But there's a wide diversity even in this room. You look around, okay? There's different sexes. There's both men and women. There's uh, differences in age, there's differences in income, differences in background, differences in physical body types and conditions of those body types, right? Um, we have different jobs, different marital status, different experiences that we've been through. What is it that draws a group like this together? Well, Paul says that one of the best reasons to be drawn together as a church is a common commitment, a partnership in the spread of the gospel. And it gives him great joy that the Philippians have sacrificed on his behalf to partner with him for the spread of the gospel. And so the gospel should be at the center of our relationships. If you go down to verse 6, um, Paul's point there is that salvation is God's work from beginning to end. It's, he says, I'm confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion 
until the day of Christ Jesus. Um, who began the good work in the Philippians? Well, Paul was God's agent in that. But God ultimately began the process of salvation with them. And Paul says, I have confidence that God, who began this good work of salvation, will carry it on as you go day by day until the day when it's finished, which is the day when Jesus comes back to get us and we go into his presence for eternity. So whether we're talking about our justification, in other words, God declares us righteous on the day that we are saved, or the carrying it on, what we would call our sanctification or the process of becoming holy and like God day by day, or our glorification when we have the experience the day, it's, by the way, it's the day of Christ Jesus, the day when Jesus comes back to get us. Whether it's our, from beginning to the end, it's God's work. Now, we can, we can obviously obey God or disobey God along that process, but it's God's work. It's he who brings salvation, whether the beginning, the middle, or the end. And, and the final thing here I want you to see in this section is down in verse 7 and 8. And verse 7 and 8, Paul's point is that faithful fellowship produces loving relationships. That their sacrifice with him for the advance of the gospel has produced a loving relationship. And that that's true in our, in our sense too, that faithful fellowship produces loving relationships. Ten years have elapsed since Paul started this church and now he's in prison and yet they continue to have this bond. Why? Because the Philippians have continued that commitment and that making those sacrifices so that Paul can continue to do what he's doing. And by the way, just, just as an aside, let me just tell you something here personally as a pastor. Okay? Karen and I came to this church two years ago this month. Our anniversary date was August the 7th. And we came because we felt called. We didn't know most of you beyond your names. And with some of you, we struggled even for a while after that to learn those. But we came here because we felt that God had called us, which is the same reason, by the way, that Paul went to Philippi. He went because he had a vision from God that he should go. Now, I didn't have a vision, but I did feel called that I was supposed to be at this church. The reason that I stay is not just no now, because I feel called, but because I love each and every one of you. And Karen feels the same way. And the reason that Paul was in relationship with the Philippians was initially because he went, he went because he was called. But the reason he stays in that relationship and works at it and continues to build that up with them is because he loves them. And we love you. And you all need to know that. Okay? You need to know that. that we love you. Okay. Um, you know something else? We pray for you all. I, I hope you know that too. That we pray for all of you. 
And I love to read the prayers that the apostles give, particularly Paul's prayers and the letters that he writes to these churches, because they give me a model for how I should pray. And in, down in verses 9 to 11, uh, Paul's going to give us one of these prayers. He says, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ Jesus, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, one of the things I want you to see there that's very, very important is what is the content of Paul's prayer. And the content of the prayer is verse 9. And then the subsidiary reasons why he prays that way are verses 10 and 11. Okay? He's going to give you, this is my prayer, and then this is why I pray this way. Okay? Uh, he's going to give you two reasons why he does that. Okay? But the prayer is that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Now, th that means that for Paul, you can't divorce knowledge from love. Or love from knowledge. And a lot of Christians tend to kind of want to do that. I don't know if you've been around some of them. But sometimes they'll say something like this. You get in a conversation with somebody and, say, and they'll say, uh, Hey dude, well you know doctrine just divides all of us. And so let's, you know, you love Jesus and I love Jesus. And let's just love Jesus together. And we'll kind of worry about all of the technical stuff later. Or I've had conversations with people who say, Well, I don't need theology and I don't really need a deeper understanding of my Bible I just want to love Jesus and what Paul is saying here is that as you know more of someone your love for them does not diminish it increases let me give you a couple examples okay love and knowledge go together um, if I bring my spouse I bring dear Karen her coffee in the morning with two creams and no sugar, just the way she likes it. She's going to feel loved and cared for. Why? Because she knows that I know that intimate little detail about her, that we've been married long enough, I have learned something that we didn't, that I didn't know when we first got married, but now I know this is exactly how she likes her coffee. And it communicates a love and a tenderness toward her that just saying, hey, there's coffee made, wouldn't, right? Do I love her any less if I just say, hey, there's coffee made? Well, not necessarily. But if I bring her some made the way that she likes based upon my knowledge of her, our love is increased, Right? Uh, maybe it's not coffee with you. Maybe it's something else. But when you when you look for somebody to marry, what are you looking for? You're looking for somebody who gets you, right? And you and you say, well, I don't know what it is about it, but she or he just gets me. They understand me. And what we mean by that is what Paul is saying here: that our love has grown in knowledge and depth of insight. And while I don't want to diminish the fact that we need to be in love with Jesus, and that sometimes 
if we don't put our knowledge into practice, it can make our love grow cold. What I am saying is that knowledge and love are not antithetical to one another. They go together. And our love ought to increase in knowledge over time. That we know Jesus better today than we did yesterday or last year or last month. And that the deeper we go into the word, the better that can be if we put it into practice. You know, to go back to the coffee example again, you know, if I know Karen likes it this way and I bring it to her another way, what does that communicate? Not love and tenderness, but maybe anger, right? Put salt in your coffee, dear, (laughs) you know. um, That communicates something else. I need to act according to the knowledge I have, right? Because uh, that demonstrates love and care, all right? Uh, and verse, uh, verses 10 and 11 give us the reasons for why Paul prays this way. He says, the first reason is that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Um, now, I want to make a correction here. Um, the word in, until, uh, you probably ought to cross that out if you have an NIV Bible. It should read on. Okay? The word, the word there should read on the day of Christ Jesus. Because Paul is not saying that, okay, you're already pure and blameless, and you just continue doing what you're doing until Jesus gets here. Okay? What he's saying is, I want you to grow in in. I want your love to grow in depth and in knowledge uh, so that on the day of Christ Jesus, when that gets here, that you will be pure and blameless. Okay? It's not that it's a status you've already attained that you now you just have to maintain, but the goal of this prayer is that you would strive toward obedience in such a way that when Jesus comes back for you, that you would be found to be pure and blameless. Okay? Uh, that, in other words, that, that this, this increase in our understanding of who God is and what he is like and our love for him would drive us toward rejecting sin in our life so that when Jesus comes back for us, he sees us holy as holy as, the, as we were declared to be on the day that he saved us. That our sanctification would catch up with our justification, in other words, to use the theological terms, okay? Um, so that like, glorification is not this huge jump between who we, how we lived and who we now are, but that it's just kind of a passing through a door We have been holy and striving to be holy, and now we're finally holy on the day of Christ. And the other thing I want you to not miss here is this other reason, uh, verse 11, the end of it, to the glory and praise of God. Uh, Paul prays this way so that their lives might change so that God would be glorified. I don't know if you know it or not, but the ultimate purpose of everything God has done is his own glory. 
the fact that God created, the fact that God uh, put humans into that creation, the fact that he allowed the fall to happen, the fact that he made promises through the prophets, the fact that he called and created the nation of Israel, the fact that he sent Jesus Christ to the earth to live and to do miracles and to be crucified for our sin and to be raised from the dead and to uh, send the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and to create the church and to save you and I. The whole reason for all of that stuff, for all of redemption history from the beginning to the end, the whole reason is the glory and praise of God, that God might get more glory. And the reason that we are to pursue holiness on a day-by-day basis is not simply so that we can be better people. It's so that God might be more greatly glorified in your life and in mine. That he might be magnified in who, and who we are, in who he is by what we are because of his work in our life to change us. And the purpose is God's glory. And this is an amazing passage. It really is. Oh, I could go on for a lot longer. Okay. I'm not going to. I just want to bring this down here to just a couple of things to chew on here this week and and a couple of personal challenges here that I would like to give you. Uh, First of all, we saw that fellowship doesn't just mean, it's not just a Christian word for being friends. It means shared sacrifice in a common cause. And we saw that the gospel should be at the center of our relationship. Now, let me get personal. Consider your life. Take a look in the mirror here of God's word and consider your life and ask yourself this question. What am I sacrificing my life for? What am I sacrificing my life for? Because there's all kinds of ways to spend your life. You only get one life to spend. You only get to spend it in the future, right? You only can spend it going forward. You don't get to undo any decisions you've made in the past. You only get to determine the decisions you're going to make today and for your future, right? What are you sacrificing your life to accomplish? Are you spending it for the advance of the gospel or for something else? And if it's not for the advance of the gospel, why not? Because the gospel should be at the center of who we are in all of our relationships. Uh, Second question. Since love and knowledge always go together, according to Paul, how are you doing on that? Let me address one category of people first. Do you have a lot of knowledge but little love for God? I met a bunch of these people um, at one point. You know, Sometimes there'll, pe- there'll be people who used to go to church, and they will say things like this, Oh, man, I learned all that stuff. I know it all. But they have no love for God. Or sometimes there'll be people who are in the church. I met some guys in, when I was in seminary that this was the case for. They had books and shelves full of stuff all about who God was and what he has done. 
but no real deep relationship with God. In fact, their relationship with God had become kind of dry and dusty. And if you're, if you, maybe if you think about it, you're one of those people. Um, let me just say this, that knowledge which does not express itself in acts of love for the person you say is your beloved eventually grows cold. And I don't care whether the relationship is a friendship, whether it's a marriage, or whether it's your relationship with God. If you don't continue to act on what you know would please and love and honor this person, eventually you start to just grow distant in that relationship. And so knowledge and love need to be held together. Okay? Knowledge and love need to be held together. I'll assure you, your marriage will get better, by the way, if you're struggling, if you act on the knowledge you have of what serves and honors and pleases this person. So will your relationship with God. On the flip side, let me ask about your level of knowledge and your depth of insight into your relationship with God. Uh, How deeply do you know your Bible? How well can you explain not just what you believe, but why, based on the Scriptures? Uh, Because if if your love for Jesus does not grow in knowledge and depth of insight, what you will have is a relationship with God that is a lot more like one of those infatuations that we kind of get when we're uh, young and full of hormones, uh, where you see this person kind of across the room and you go, I'm in love. You don't know nothing about that person. (laughs) You don't know them from the man in the moon. In fact, they may not even know your name, but you're in love, right? We don't want our relationship with God to be like that, where we say we love God, but we know nothing about him, or at least we know very little about him. Our love for Jesus needs to grow in knowledge and depth of insight and that we need to act in love on that knowledge so that our love grows in depth, right? Um, we want our relationship with God to be like one of those relationships. You've seen them. In fact, we have some in this church of a couple who has loved and honored and pursued each other for 40 and 50 and 60 years. And they have, a, they have not just love, but a depth that relationship it's admirable and holy and we want our relationship with God to look like that that we have been loving and following and knowing Jesus deeper and deeper every year okay and finally let's consider if today was the day of Christ Jesus how far along would I be in my development of the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ How far along would I be? If the goal of the Christian life is the the glory and praise of God, and it is, how far have I gone down that road of glorifying God with my life? Of being filled, as Paul says, with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus. How far have I gone? All right, let's pray.